You are listening to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. Our vision is to treasure Christ above all else and live for more. I'm not going to start with a joke or an illustration that, you know, will make you laugh. Um, it's going to be, you know, I'm going to start with a somber, on a somber note. Um, and and you'll, you'll understand why. And uh, I, I don't know if you've noticed or if you've read uh, this week that, um, and, and I couldn't help reading this article about Instagram's algorithms. Anyone, anyone know what's going on with that? Okay. And how Instagram's algorithms connect and promote a vast network of pedophiles interested in underage sex content. And my, my heart just broke, you know. And at the same time, I was reminded of all the evil in the world and all the things that are happening in the world, all the vile things that are happening. And the only proper response was, you know, to ask this question, this rhetorical question, what is wrong with us? <laughs> what is wrong with us? Today, we're going to talk about understanding our sinfulness, understanding our sinfulness. And just so you know where we're going for the next four weeks here at the park, we are going to take a break in the middle, but we're going to be here for four weeks at the park. So today we're talking about understanding our sinfulness, our depravity, our brokenness. And then we're going to look at Christ's intervention, how God injected grace into our depravity. And then we're going to talk about Christ's sacrifice, how he saved us. And then lastly, we're going to talk about the new life that we have in Christ, that we're called to have in Christ. But today, we're going to talk about understanding our sinfulness and our depravity. Um, I'm going to read a passage, and you can remain seated. That's fine. Romans 3. If you brought a Bible, open it to Romans chapter 3, uh, verses 9 to 18. 9 to 18. And this is what God's Word says. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. And it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, no, not even one. Their throat is an open grave, they use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace have not, they have not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. It's a pretty somber passage, isn't it? <laughs> now you came here at the park today to be insulted. Uh, because this is what I'm going to say, that the passage that we just read, these few verses in Romans 3, is our condition apart from Christ. That's you and that's me. And that's the world apart from Christ. This is the condition of every human being on planet earth apart from Christ. But trust me, the good news is so much better if we get this part today. If we start to grasp and understand uh, our sinfulness, our brokenness. A few years back, um, a world champion in boxing, uh, his name Macho Camacho. Anyone heard of this guy? This is, <laughs> Dave, yes. 
a few people. Yeah, he was interviewed on TV and he was asked by the, because he was bragging a lot about his life, his loose life. He was a father at 15, drugs, loose living, sexual immorality. And the sportscaster said to him, listen, don't you think that as a sports hero, I mean, you know, you have an obligation to be a model to our youth. Like, you know, you're bragging about your past. What's going on? To which he replied with an attitude quickly. And he said, man, look, I, I, I did my dirt, but I know Hitler. The world champion's response is the typical human response that we all have. Yeah, yeah, I'm not that bad. I mean, I just, yeah, I did some stuff, but come on, I'm no, I'm no Hitler. It's our human response to the biblical truth that we're going to talk about today. Namely, the fact that we're all broken. The fact that we don't function right. There's a condition that we're born with. The fact that no one is righteous, not, not one. Righteous meaning we're not in right standing with a holy and a perfect God. Just like the passage that we just read in Romans. We are all sinners. And the reality, this truth that we're all broken and not functioning right has a biblical name. And it's called total depravity. Total depravity. Now, we've all responded to this in different ways, haven't we? You know, we, we probably said stuff like, come on now, you know, we have done some stuff in my life, and, but I didn't kill anyone. It was just a series of lies, didn't really, you know, hurt anyone. I may have some faults, but there are a lot of, you know, a lot of people out there that are a lot worse than me, that's for sure. Sure, I may have my demons, but I do so much good stuff too, right? I'm not, whatever you say, totally depraved. That's not me. And the reality is that it's not surprising that we think that way or that we respond to this truth and reality that way or that the world responds that way. Since the devil, the Bible says, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. But it's disturbing if you ask me. It's, it's heartbreaking to be honest with you that even the church, even the church a lot of times has greatly diluted and in some cases even rejected or denied this fundamental truth, this fundamental teaching, the total depravity of every person since Adam and Eve's fall into sin. You know, the thriving, the, the thriving evangelical book market or the Christian social media platforms of many Christian pastors and leaders offers a steady diet of positive inspiration, and that's it. You know, uplifting stuff, spiritual uplifting stuff, and successful Christian living, and that's about it. Because let's face it, no one would buy it, right? Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to sell, sell it to the crowd. Also, evangelical and Christian visionaries across the world building multi-million dollar enterprises have latched on a positive, upbeat style, defining our faith as building self-confidence, resisting negative thoughts, and tapping the limitless possibilities within ourselves, and that's it. But in just reading this passage in Romans 3, Hey, you'll notice right away that we are definitely missing something here. Additionally, there's so much evidence throughout the Bible of our total depravity. 
that we have a condition, that every, every soul, every human being has this condition. But even in hearing some of our brothers from, you know, from the different generations, men like Luther, Wesley, Whitfield, Edward, Spurgeon, and we get a totally different story from them than what is preached today. This is what Spurgeon said, by the way. As the salt flavors every drop in the Atlantic, so does sin affect every atom of our nature. It's so sadly there. It's so abundantly there that if you cannot detect it, you are deceived. So friends, I, I argue that one of the most important realities that needs to be reemphasized today and preached today is this truth of the total depravity of the human heart. We just do not understand our fallen state. We don't, or we simply just deny it or reject it. And if we do not properly understand this reality and this truth, there is no way that we can fully understand the gospel, this good news that we keep talking about, let alone to make it plain to other people, right? If we're not clear on the evil that lurks within our hearts, even as Christians. So Apostle Paul unpacks this reality. By the way, Apostle Paul is the guy that wrote this book, Romans, that we just read. He wrote quite a big chunk of the Bible of the New Testament. But he unpacks this reality that we have a condition, that we all have a condition that that we're born with and, and, and no one can avoid. And what he does in this passage in Romans 3, which is likely the most concise explanation of total depravity that we read in the Bible. And, and, and what he does is kind of like, like an examination from head to toe, but he goes deeper. He goes to the complexities of the heart. You know, uh, when we visit the doctor for, uh, for a checkup, it, it, it's common to be examined from head to toe, right? In a, in a spiritual sense, that's what Apostle Paul does here but it's in a spiritual sense. And he does the very same thing, an examination of what's going on in the heart. And by the way, this for those of you that are kind of want to look deeper into this text, this text that I just read, it includes seven Old Testament scripture quotes, meaning that this is not a new thing. It wasn't new for Paul, meaning that the Bible talks about our total depravity. It's everywhere in the Bible. It's not a, it wasn't a new thing for Paul. It's not a new thing for us. So Paul is absolutely clear of the fact that sin infects us and affects us at every level, in every level. For the next few minutes, I want to just really quickly go again over the text that I just read and kind of unpack it a little bit. But I want us to observe the different levels that we are affected by sin. Let's just kind of go through it really quickly. And then we're going to have two application points at the end. He he goes right from the beginning. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks. And by the way, when he says both Jews and Greeks, that's referring to everybody on planet earth. He's he's saying Jews and non-Jews. We are the non-Jews in the non-Jews category, but that, that's referring to every single human being on planet earth. And he says, are under sin, at, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. This is, this two verses, they point to the nature that, that we're not just, 
you know, that evil and sin is not just what we do, but who we are before Christ, that our nature is infected by sin. And then he says, no one understands. No one understands. That's, he's referring to, to our mind, that our mind, even our minds are infected and affected by sin. I mean, just, just you know, let's do an assessment. We use our minds, we use our intelligence to wage war with each other, right? That's, that's what's happening in the world. And we wage war with God. We rebel against God, not worship God. And then he says, no one seeks for God. That's referring to our motives. The motives of the heart are infected by sin also. He really does quite an examination here. I mean, all we seek and all we desire, we, there's a self-bent within every human being, right? Towards sin. It has nothing to do with God and with the fact that God created us to live for him. And he's got a design for all of us to follow. Now, and then, and then he goes, verse 12, all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. This, this he's referring to our will, that even our will is affected and infected by sin. I mean, just again, look around at the plethora of evidence all around us, how we're so set to ruin, to damage, to destroy. I mean, God made a way for us to live, you know, with him and for him, but we like, nah, nah. We want to do life independently of you, God. We got, we, we got our own way. And then he goes, no one does good, not even one. No one does good. He's referring to our actions now, that obviously our actions are polluted by this condition. I mean, if our nature is corrupt, if our nature is sinful, our actions and deeds will just follow suit. No one does good, he says. And then he goes in verse 13. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. He's referring to our words, our mouth. All of that is infected by sin also. He, he, he really goes in every area of our, of our being, of who we are, that all of it is infected by sin. And in verse 15, their feet are swift to shed blood. Their feet pointing to the members of our body, right? That we use them for sinful actions that are infected by this condition, right? Should I mention the fact that we kill about 137 babies an hour here in, our, in this country? We, we take life that God made. Yeah, we use our hands and our feet to shed blood. We're swift to shed blood. And then, and then lastly, he says, actually, no, uh, verse 16, we have a couple more verses. He says, in their paths are ruin and misery. What does that mean? It refers to the, our emotional side of us. We're miserable. Even our, our emotions are infected by this, right? We're emotionally miserable and wretched, right? And, and we're bankrupt and, and, and unhealthy people emotionally. We, we, what we do is we burden and harm others, bringing more ruin and misery. And then he goes, verse 17 and 18, the last two verses, in the way of peace they have not known. And then he goes, there's no fear of God before their eyes. Referring to our soul, that even our soul, every, so again, every part of who we are, he's basically saying is infected and affected by sin. So again, this is a, this is a quick and concise examination that every part of who we are is affected by this condition. 
I know that you already have so many questions, maybe not all of you. And at the same time, you just hate being, being compared to, to those people out there, the totally depraved, right? Not us, not us, them, they, right? So because of that and because this teaching of total depravity is often misunderstood and then rejected and denied, I want to take a little bit of time to define it. What is it? What is total depravity? And then answer some, some of the questions and pushback that you may have. But I want to start with what total depravity is not. What total depravity is not. So total depravity does not mean that people are as wicked and sinful as they could be. It doesn't mean that. God's goodness is still in place. Because if you were to take his grace away, oh boy, oh boy. At the same time, it doesn't mean that people are incapable of doing good deeds. No, we all have friends. We, we, even ourselves, if we're not in Christ, right? We love our parents. We love our kids. We sacrifice for them even. We're capable of some good things, right? Many people who do not know Christ are honest, even when it costs them, a lot of them. So we're not incapable, right, of, of, of good actions. So, but, but now what is total depravity? Two things that I want us to kind of go home with when it comes to defining total depravity. And the first thing is that the word total refers to the totality of all people on planet earth. So this includes everyone. That's why the Bible says total depravity because it includes every person, again, on planet earth. No one's exempt from this. It refers to every person since Adam and Eve, except for Jesus Christ, and that all of us have been born with a nature that, that is alienated from God and in rebellion against God. In Psalm 51, 5, David says, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. We're born in sin. But secondly, not only this total depravity, it includes every single person, but secondly, total depravity refers to the fact that every aspect of every person is infected. And the apostle Paul just gave us a, you know, kind of a thorough examination. Our minds, our emotions, our, our body motives corrupted by sin. So total depravity refers to the extent of the damage, not necessarily to the degree of the damage. Because we say things like, ah, I'm not like that killer right there. No, 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 no. That's exactly it. But to illustrate that, if you put a drop of deadly bacteria in a glass of water, it contaminates the entire glass, doesn't it? Now, if you add a spoonful of bacteria, which makes it more potent, but the little drop is enough to pollute all the water in the glass. So it's kind of like that. In the same way, Adam's sinfulness, Adam's sinful nature was imputed, was credited, was attributed to us all so that all of us are polluted by sin. We're all infected and that's our nature. And guess what? If your nature is sinful, you will eventually act on it. It's just a matter of time. I, I know you all know this. We all agree to this. So we, trust me, we, we've all seen things that we're capable and things that we do on a regular basis. I mean, that's why you see my adorable two-year-old Eli. He's cute, isn't he? Oh yeah, but by the way, no one taught him this, but he will slap his bigger sister and pull their hair. And when you tell him not to do it, guess what? He'll scream and run away. Adam's sinful nature on full display. That's what it is. 
See, sin includes, just so we can understand sin a little bit better, sin includes living independently of God. That's what sin is at the root of it. And doing what we want rather than what he created us to or commanded us to, commanded us to do. So for those of you who still struggle maybe with, you know, in understanding your, that you have a condition, that, that you are totally depraved, that you have a bent towards sin, consider this for a moment. Consider this for a moment. That you had unlimited resources, no restraints. Think about this, no restraints and no consequences as no one would ever know what you did or the cops, or your wife, or your parents, or your kids, and you could never be arrested, and you could never die. Are you, are you playing that? Are you, are, you, are you with me? Let's be honest. Once these variables are removed, you can be sure that your shadow side would emerge, and you would increasingly do things that were dark, depraved, and evil. That's all of us. That is all of us. And the point that I'm trying to make here is that what restrains us is not our goodness, but God's goodness to help save us from ourselves. We're all infected and affected by this condition, by sin. No one is exempt. Now, the application part of this reality, this truth comes in many nuances, but uh, as I'm closing, let me just give us two main application points so we can go home with some handles. So two main application points. And the first one is this. The reality of my sinfulness, the reality of my sinfulness should cause me to despair completely of myself and to throw myself completely upon Christ alone for salvation. I'll say that again. The reality of my sinfulness should cause me to despair completely of myself and to throw myself completely upon Christ alone for salvation. The truth is, is that you can't educate a man out of this condition. You just can't. You can't coach him out. You can't discipline someone. Hey, let me just kind of, you know, uh, explain it to you. I will discipline. You know, you, you, you'll do some... This is the formula and we'll get you out of, no, no, you cannot do that. You cannot argue a man out of this condition. You can't. There's absolutely nothing you and I can do about this. And you know why? Because the blinders over his, the eyes of his heart are there supernaturally. And the only way you can take them off is supernaturally. But here's what we often do. We find people in this condition and they're everywhere because that's all of us outside of Christ. We, we find people in this condition and we try to compromise with them. And, and we try to clean them up on the outside. And we say, hey, hey, don't, don't talk like that. Talk like us because we go to church. Talk like us, you know, look like us a little bit. And what you've done is behavioral modification. That's what, we, you've, that's what you've done. And what you have now is a person who on the inside is still corrupt, still has this condition. And on the outside has, this person has learned now how to use his tongue, his throat, his mouth, his feet, his body in order to get what he wants by being deceptive about it. That's what you have. If you can somehow guide his feet so that they wouldn't shed blood anymore, right? 
If somehow you can, if you can incarcerate everyone and put them in prison, right? If you can do that so that they no longer, their feet are no longer swift to shed blood. Well, let me ask, what exactly would we accomplish by that? You have a man now who is a hypocrite, a religious man. And let me remind you that Jesus had a lot of words for these people in the Bible. <laughs> One pastor shared his experience in Angola at the largest maximum security prison in the world. And he talks about this, that, this I don't know, an eerie and unnerving moment where he had the opportunity to share the gospel with a serial killer. He stood face to face, you know, uh, eye to eye with a serial killer. A man on a death row. A man who could only go outside for one hour in a caged enclosure because no one could trust him. And for the rest of the 23 hours, he would go back inside into a dark and confined dungeon. Imagine that, 23 hours just in a dark room. The pastor shared how he knew this man's experience in history. That is, that his feet were so swift to shed blood. And he's done it over and over and over again. He shared how he, he heard the words coming out of the mouth of this man and the throat and the lips. And, 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 and he said how he was never more disturbed by another human being in his entire life than by this serial killer. There was no fear, he said in his eyes, no fear whatsoever. And he said, this is the definition of totally depraved, totally and radically depraved right there. But here's the news, the news flash, friend. Apart from Christ and his work of salvation on our behalf, neither you nor I would be better off. Excuse me? What are you saying, Obi? Well, he doesn't seek after God, that serial killer. Yeah, you're right. But I didn't either. Well, clearly he doesn't understand. Yeah, you're right. I didn't either. Clearly he doesn't do any good. Yeah, you're right. I didn't either. Clearly, he's not righteous. He's not in right standing before a holy and a perfect God. Yeah, I wasn't either. Clearly, his feet are swift to go and shed blood. Yes, mine were as well. Or do you not remember the teaching of Christ from the Sermon on the Mount? We were just there, church. And he says, you heard it said that you, heard it said that you shall not murder. But I say to you, if you hate your brother, you're guilty enough to face the fires of hell yourself. Ouch. If it weren't for the grace of God, friends, this is who we were apart from Christ. And a lot of us are still there because we're not in Christ. This is who we are apart from Christ. And until we grasp this reality, until we understand this reality, we will never ever properly understand or appreciate our debt to Christ. Unless and until we understand this, we will never grasp, we will never understand how worthy he is of our worship. But your problem and my problem 
is that we think this of everyone else, but not us. We think this, oh yeah, that serial killer, that, that, that makes sense. Or that person, oh, I know his life, but never about us. We look back at our life somehow, you know, as we were before Christ. And, and if, if truth were told, we actually believe that in us, there was some inkling of something good that Christ must have seen and must have appreciated in us and that caught his eye. Ooh, Ovi's worth it. I'm going to go and die for him. Oh, no, 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 no. We must say with Apostle Paul, I was chief among sinners, Lord have mercy on me. So the Bible is abundantly clear. You can do nothing to save yourself from God's rightful judgment. Only Christ can save. Only Christ can save and he has promised to save all who trust in him. Is that you? How beautiful is that? Is that you? You, got, you have nothing else to hold on to. But to trust in your Savior, you got nothing good in you. But man, what we could be in Christ, you know, I always used to say this and it's true. We are so much worse than we think we are when it comes to total depravity. But God's, but the life that we can have in Christ and God's grace is so much more powerful than we, than we can ever imagine. So the reality of my sinfulness should cause me to despair completely of myself and to throw myself completely upon Christ alone for salvation. Number one, second application point, I'm ending with this. The reality of my sinfulness should move me to greater love for God, for his amazing grace. I'll say that again. The reality of my sinfulness should move me to greater love for God, for his amazing grace. There's a story in the gospels about a sinful and a loose woman who comes before Christ and she washes his feet with her tears because she was broken over his sin. By the way, that's a good response. That's a good, you know, to, to, to Jesus forgiving us. And some of the religious leaders that were there in that room were quite offended. And, and, they, and they judged her and they judged Jesus as well. And there's a powerful line that Jesus speaks in response to that. And it goes something like this. Luke chapter 7, verse 47 and 48. Therefore, I tell you, her, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. And check this out. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. The problem is that the weak and the cheap gospel that we preach a lot of times in our, in our, uh, in our society in the West, it does not wound. It does not offend us. It doesn't tell us that we have a big problem. It doesn't tell us that we're totally depraved, that we have a condition, that we have an infection, that we're sinful. And so we are forgiven little because we think that our sin is little. And because we are forgiven little, such people, what? Love little. But if we understand that we have been forgiven much, if we understand that we're totally depraved apart from Christ, we will what? We will love much. We will live for God much. Charles Spurgeon said it like this. Too many think lightly of sin and therefore think lightly of the Savior. He who has stood before his God convicted and condemned with a rope around his neck 
is the man to weep for joy when he's pardoned, to hate the evil which has been forgiven him, and to live for the honor of the redeemed by whose blood he has been cleansed. Friends, when we see the radical depravity of our sinful hearts and then realize the abundant grace and mercy of our Lord and Savior, it is impossible not to love him. It is impossible not to be caught up in wonder and love for him. It is impossible not to give up your sin. It is impossible not to follow him with all you've got. So friends, my prayer is that you would grasp, that you would grasp the depravity of your condition and of your sinfulness. This is why the gospel is good news. The fact, the fact of the matter is that Jesus didn't come to die for those that had a little sparkling, a little, a little something, a little inkling of good that made it worthwhile for God. Oh yeah, they look great. There's potential there. I'll go and I'll die for them. Nah, no. Christ died for who? For the ungodly. Christ came for the sick. Christ came to seek and save what? That which was sick, that which was lost, completely lost. Friends, if we get that, we get the greatness of the gospel. If we get that, we get the majesty of our Savior. So let me ask, do you view your sin that way? Do you? Because only when you do, you view Christ rightly. I'm going to leave you with two verses. And I know we're at the park and there's a lot of distractions. Would you close your eyes with me? I'm going to read two verses for you. Everything that I said, would you filter through these two verses that I'm going to just read to us? But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then, but God being rich in mercy because of, of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Thanks for tuning in to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you live for more.